Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, VP for Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to be diving into headless, especially headless commerce. What kind of projects is it right for, the pros and cons of headless solution, and what projects can be successful with this solution? Who does it apply to? What are some other ideas and thoughts behind it? And to discuss all of this, I am joined by TJ Gamble, founder and CEO of Jamerson, an e-commerce agency that has been helping e-commerce merchants for over 20 years. TJ, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. The motivational poster in your ear. That's a never heard that one before. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. Uh, for those watching on YouTube, I should probably start to also say the one that you can watch that's moving and exciting to see my face and others' faces. Uh, anyways, TJ, you are the founder and CEO of Jamerson and the personality behind e-commerce Saholic, content brand that produces educational content for the e-commerce community. Uh, you've uniquely positioned yourself as a thought leader in the industry, and you have a mass appeal to a wide array of community members. E-commerce Saholic delivers meaningful content for the up-and-coming small merchant, large enterprise, and technical audiences alike. That is a plethora of personas that you're able to address and bring content to. It's incredible. If you are not aware of TJ and e-commerceaholic, you can definitely find them on Twitter at e-commerceaholic, Instagram, as well as LinkedIn. So overall, TJ, why don't you talk a little bit to us about just the thought process behind e-commerceaholic, behind Jamerson, and just what has really brought you into the commerce fold over the years? Yeah, well, what led to e-commerceaholic is really me trying to turn Jamerson's disadvantages into our advantages. We're, you know, remotely located, strategically located in the middle of nowhere, as I like to say. Go to conferences, have a lot of awesome conversations with people around e-commerce, and then we would come home and we don't have a very vibrant e-commerce community here in Opelika, Alabama. And so, you know, how can we use the internet? We're working on the internet every day. How can we use that to maybe have some of those awesome conversations we have at conferences, but really open it up to people that maybe can't attend those types of events. They can be cost prohibitive. And so started creating content about four or five years ago, really focused mostly on technical e-commerce. And so people in the industry, people who are experienced with the industry, we try to keep it as, as lowbrow as we can, I guess, you know, try to not be too technical, but it is inside baseball a little bit, as they would say. Wonderful. And, and when you're going through and, and doing a list, what kind of led you into the, I know it's now headless, but let's go a little bit into the past and, and e-commerce prior to the headless approach. And with that, you know, just excitement in the technology or with just through some of those conferences, how did you get plugged into that commerce space and how have you seen it grow into what is now today headless? And if you don't mind, give our listeners a little bit of a review of just what is meant by headless commerce. Yeah. So what got me into e-commerce? That That's a really easy thing. And as a business owner, you go where the money is. We were trying to build WordPress sites and things like that, but realistically, you could measure the value that you provide to someone in e-commerce a lot easier, and so they're willing to spend a little money, a little more money on those sites than informational sites. So we followed that path very early in Jamerson's history back in the late 90s and really have been focused on e-commerce ever since. As the founder and CEO of a business, we really try to pay attention to not just where the industry's been, but where the industry's going. 
And that's one of the reasons we oftentimes are, are talking about headless. And so for those that maybe don't know or don't understand the term headless, or maybe it's a little fuzzy, headless basically means a head is a term that is used to describe the interface of a computer system. And so you would have a terminal or a head, which is a monitor, a keyboard, a mouse to access that system. Theoretically, when something is headless, that means it does not have an interface. And so headless is not a great term. You'll hear people talk about composable commerce or some other terms that, um, although technically they may mean a little different, we're really talking about the same thing. And that's where your back-end systems, the systems that power your commerce, your cataloging, your merchandising, that system is completely decoupled from the interface of your website. Because obviously it can't be headless. Nobody has a headless e-commerce offering. If people can't interact with it, there's really no sense in you having it. And so it means your back-end system may be headless in that it didn't have a head when you obtained it, built it, whatever, but then you're finding your interface of choice. It could be some other system. You know, you could be using Adobe Experience Manager. You could be using WordPress if you want to. Uh, it could be a JavaScript-based progressive web app, but it interacts with your backend systems via APIs, oftentimes GraphQL and things like that. But they're, they're just two systems now instead of one, two plus systems. It could be three, it could be four to power your e-commerce experience. Wonderful. Thanks for that uh, recap on on what headless really is. And uh, completely agree. There's different ways that it's being talked about now with composable commerce and other things. Uh, at the end of the day, it's still the same. You're building a system, two systems, right? The front end experience that is separate from the back end application and, and what you're managing, uh, either your products, your data in, et cetera. Now, with, with all of this, what reason did Headless really come about besides the aspect of the front-end delivery? Is that the main core pro? And, and what are some cons around Headless and, and taking a solution approach with that for different organizations? Well, Headless, like a lot of initiatives, started with the enterprise, the big boys, the folks who were doing significant volume and are always looking for advantages and pioneering new things and squeezing out a few extra percentage points on their conversion rates or their infrastructure really add up to significant revenue. And so with them, they started finding out that a lot of the systems they're using, whether they wrote them themselves or themselves, or they're finding the on the third party market, they're not great at everything. They're really good at a few things. And if you could take a bunch of different systems, you could put together a really good offering something much stronger than you could do with one system. And when you do that though, something has to be the front end. So do you buy an e-commerce platform and then plug all of these different systems into that and run it through it and it is the interface? That's a way, but that has some limitations. And so when you start putting a bunch of different systems together, which you know they would refer to as microservices at this point, you know systems that have small pieces of functionality that they do really well, well, if you're going to put a bunch of them together, it then just makes sense that the presentation layer is its own service as well, is a separate thing that integrates with all of these different applications rather than trying to you know, shoehorn them through an e-commerce platform. Uh, and so that's really the advantage there is that now you can kind of pick and choose your back office infrastructure 
based on your needs, not necessarily the one that does everything the best. There's also some advantages in that you can use a progressive web app on the front end. And so you can really squeeze a lot more performance out. Or if you're really into it, you can go beyond what you could do with a traditionally themed site. Progressive web apps are going to have access to cameras and you know a lot of things that native apps would have access to on a mobile device. And that would be difficult to do. You might could do it on a traditionally themed site, but it would be a lot more difficult to accomplish. And then the performance metrics on a properly done progressive web app are really strong. The downsides is it just costs more. It's more complicated. There's a lot of different systems at play that you've got to make sure they all talk and work well together. And if one goes down, how does that affect all of the other ones? And then you just got a lot more things at play. And the theming, you know, if you're if you're choosing, say, Adobe Commerce or some someone like that, Adobe Commerce has a theme. That theme has all of Adobe Commerce's functionality built into it. So when you choose that e-commerce platform, that traditional theme automatically does all of these cool things out of the box. But if you're going to choose a third-party progressive web app or a different front end, you're going to use Adobe Experience Manager, you've really got to write a lot of functionality to get everything because it's only going to have a small subset. Even Adobe's own progressive web app, PWA Studio, still only kind of has a subset of functionality. Some of the B2B stuff and things like that aren't built into their front end just yet. And so if you need that, well, you're just going to have to break the piggy bank and, and write it yourself. <laughs> TJ, thanks for that. With regards to this one area you kind of talked about with just the flexibility of what you have in choosing the framework that you're delivering on the front end and, and some of these enterprise clients who are doing this, how does Omnichannel come into play with just the approach that Headless allows us to deliver a different experience through all the different channels now because of the flexibility that is provided with a framework of choice. In a headless solution, we can go and build out a progressive web app like you talked about, but we can also look at both a in-store retail experience with a POS system or a tablet or kiosk type of setup, an in-the-field solution on a, a different device, or even just other channels in the digital space, such as social. Uh, you mentioned some of those, but just can you unpack a little bit more for the listeners on just the the omni-channel aspect of what Headless really kind of supports and I think helps drive a business to have more opportunity for their commerce aspects. Yeah, realistically, what Headless has done, the best thing it's done is it's forced all of these platforms to create really great API layers. And some are ahead of others, but because the interface has to communicate with the backend systems by APIs, well, then the backend system has to have those APIs. And by doing that, it's really opened up the possibility to create and craft really unique user experiences. To your point, like you mentioned, say you're, you're selling something and you've got people in the field that are selling. Well, you can build your back office infrastructure and then you could build a commerce front end on it for people to self-help. But then you could very easily build an iPad app that they could carry into the field that has a completely different experience because your trained salespeople are using it and it's it's still powered by that same commerce engine. It still all runs through the same systems. You don't need two or three different systems and then try to integrate them necessarily for that to work. 
And so by having those APIs exposed and by having very robust API coverage, the sky's the limit. Like you can accomplish all sorts of things you couldn't do five or 10 years ago. And with that, I just want to bring up a little statistic for our listeners with regards to what Forbes reported on. Over $1.65 billion in funding was raised for headless technologies in 2020 to 2021 alone. And as we look at the continued growth, the digital first approach uh, that is happening, and I would even say to go as deep as what you just mentioned, TJ, the API first approach that all of these different systems have to have in order to interconnect between each other. We're just going to continue to see that funding grow over time with all the different platforms, solutions, frameworks that are out there for these companies to start choosing from. When we really get into it, I mean, we talk about just the utilization of e-commerce. Let's go a little bit more specific about B2B versus B2C and, and even where I think D2C, direct-to-consumer, came into play, especially a lot more the past few years. We saw it trending already that way, but what's the approach in your mind of where is headless for all three? Is headless a benefit because of some of these organizations and manufacturers starting to go direct to consumer that it provides them more opportunity or is it more meant in the b2c space how would you break that down yeah it could be it could be either uh it really depends on your needs and where you're at as a business because what it allows is a very unique user experience and so if you're crafting a unique user experience if you're trying to do something outside of the norm and, and by norm I mean, most e-commerce platforms to this point have been built for the fashion use case. There are some exceptions. There are B2B platforms and things, but 90% of the platforms out there are built for the fashion use case. You're selling shirts, you've got a few variants, you have categories that those fit into, and you've got some basic search. But outside of that, you're gonna have to craft part of your user experience. Typically, those are not gonna come out of the box. Now, over time, obviously, functionality has expanded, but we can debate whether or not that's that's a good or a bad thing some other time. But if you're outside of that, so you're B2B, which you know completely fits into that, if you're doing something complicated, maybe automotive can, can be an example of that, and you're going to want to really go through and define every stage that your buyer goes through, and you're going to want to really craft something special. Maybe they're having to upload files. Maybe they're having to choose a bunch of crazy options. Maybe they're just having to do something that that is not typical. Then headless is fantastic for that because you have a lot more options. You have, you know, the JavaScript based PWAs that have more access to the device. You have the ability to get insane speed and you're going to be doing a lot of work already in traditional theming to try to craft that experience. So if you're going to do that, why not do it in headless? Why not do it in an area where you can actually take it even further by you know, driving more insane speed and doing it in an efficient manner using technologies like GraphQL? Um, so it's not, I don't think it's necessarily per, if you're D2C or if you're just uh, B2B or anything like that. I think it's really more based on what your needs are, what your buyer's journey looks like, and then your budget to actually go all the way. Because if you're not going to go all the way, if you're not going to really get in there and make a lot of customizations to the buyer's journey, if you're not going to really push toward incredibly optimized page speeds, probably not going to be worth the investment for you. I love how simple you stated that last sentence there of just, you know, making sure it's worth the investment for you. We've got a lot of 
discussions that happen around the past couple of years with headless where so many people it's it's the trending buzzword versus the reality of how it will actually benefit and so that's the biggest thing that i do challenge listeners on is ensuring that uh, to what tj just said ensure that it's worth the investment for you and that you will utilize it to its full advantage otherwise stick with what you have and, and maybe look at other platforms that might give you what you need as an all-in solution or a, a good portion of the solution that you integrate with other systems as well. Speaking of kind of integrations, uh, what are some common add-ons with e-commerce that people don't often think about at the first beginning point of a conversation with e-commerce? What are some aspects of maybe it's shipping or tax or, or other areas that you find that this is kind of the, the forgotten items that don't come up regularly? There's quite a few of them. And it, it just depends on you know, the sophistication of the merchant, I guess. We deal with a lot of small businesses to, to mid-market businesses, especially on the small business side. A lot of people just don't understand this day and age in the, you know, 2022, how many systems it takes to create a good e-commerce experience or commerce experience in general. It is not, I chose a platform and it does it all. It's not that anymore you are going to be left behind. If all you've got is your e-commerce platform, you are already getting left behind. Email should be 15 to 30% of your revenue driven through a site. That, that's gonna be typical statistics for a, a B2C site. And so you can't, you can't let that be an afterthought if it's gonna to try to drive that much traffic. You know, you're gonna need something that's designed for e-commerce. If you just got a, an old mailing list system, that's not going to work. You're going to need to be able to customize flows and really build out some different tools there. You've got email. Well, search. I don't know of a single e-commerce platform out there that has a great search. Not one. None of them. They're okay. They're serviceable. They'll get you by. But if your customers can't find what they're looking for, then they're not going to buy it. Like that's pretty simple. And so the better you can merchandise search, the better you can provide those results, the more opportunity you're going to have to get those sales. So you're going to probably need a third-party search provider on just about any platform out there. Shipping. Well, shipping is getting more and more complicated. You've got dimensional items possibly that are going to kill your shipping costs. You may have freight or LTL or something like that. I literally ordered a desk. I've got a desk sitting over here in the studio to hold all the equipment and stuff. And I went on to Sweetwater.com to order this desk a couple of weeks ago. And I get the checkout and they can't calculate freight on that item. A, a company as big as Sweetwater can't calculate freight. They literally made me stop and read a thing that said, hey, we're going to have to, you can pay, but we're going to have to contact you and we're going to have to charge you again for shipping and tax. Because they couldn't calculate freight, they then couldn't calculate tax. I had to place the order and then wait two days for somebody to call me and then agree to the shipping quote and then pay it. And then they ship the item. Wow. Like that's just not acceptable. That is not, I, I spent for that 15 minutes of headache to have that guy call me. I spent an hour looking for that product somewhere else. And the only reason I bought it is because I couldn't find it. Mm -hmm. I would have paid more. I'd have paid 20% more somewhere else to buy that desk to not go through that process. And so, you're going to need something because platforms these days, they'll get yeah, sure they'll, they'll plug into UPS and FedEx. But if you have anything outside of that fashion use case, if you have any sort of special needs on shipping, you're going to need some help with that. But then it's things like support. How are you handling support? How are you handling returns? 
platform's not going to do that very well. Support. Well, you're getting support nowadays through phone calls, through email, through Facebook, through Twitter, all of these different places. And so you need a system to where when somebody contacts you, you've got all of their information in one place. So you're going to need to be able to do support properly there. How are you doing loyalty and rewards? Well, Facebook is drying up, right? Ad costs are going through the roof. And so the golden age of being able to get cheap traffic from Facebook and who cares if they order from us again, that's gone. Now you're going to have to start building your business on lifetime value. So you better have a good rewards program. No platform does that great out of the box. You really need to be pushing toward user generated content and trying to have systems and automations to do that. Probably best if that's tied in through loyalty. I don't, I don't know how many hours you want me to be rambling on about all the systems you're going to need, but you're going to need a bunch of them. The platform is just the glue. It is the cataloging. It is some of the merchandising, but it is really just the glue for probably, you know, five to 10 systems you're going to need to build a decent e-commerce experience these days. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the detail that you went into DJ is great because it is so true. The number of systems in the ecosystem that you end up having to create around commerce that support it, that help drive it, that help with the relationships that are built through it. And with that, I think I, I want to take a little bit of a pivot here and just talk about the add-ons, but let's go back to the core and let's, let's what are some of the best in your mind, headless e-commerce platforms that could be considered for someone who's looking to implement this? They have the need to have different, you know, front end experiences. And so they want to look at that headless solution. What are some that they should be considering? Well, we're obviously big commerce and Adobe commerce partners. We really like those platforms. Uh, we feel like those are really strong players in that space. There are a lot of platforms like commerce tools that are designed from the ground up for headless. And so there's, but each of them have some advantages and disadvantages. And so when you're looking at an e-commerce platform, Kind of to the point that I that I just mentioned as well, you're going to need a lot of third-party support. And so make sure when you're evaluating these platforms, I strongly urge people, unless there's some need that I'm not aware of that your business has, stick to the popular e-commerce platforms. Make sure they have really strong third-party support. You go to a Forrester Wave or Gardner Magic Quadrant or something, you're gonna see the normal players up there. And, and most of those, because headless is so popular, are going to be pushing toward a headless offering. If you look at most of them that are built from the ground up for headless, they're going to be SaaS platforms because why? Well, one, it's all the rage, right? Technically, it can lower your total cost of ownership. Realistically, it just ends up being a higher multiple when they decide to go public or sell the mm -hmm. thing. But you have SaaS platforms. The problem with a SaaS platform is, is it really needs to do everything you need it to do. Because if it doesn't, it becomes a big problem to add that. So we really like the open source platforms like Adobe Commerce. You're gonna have the old school players like Salesforce Commerce Cloud. They're adding headless capabilities. They seem to be a little lacking in that. They have purchased a headless front end, but it's still not super integrated with their system. And so, that's why we really lean open source. If you're going to go headless right now, we're really leaning open source unless you want to go through the process of evaluating the platform and making sure that it it literally has everything you need or it has the third party support to provide that. Yeah, no, great. Thank you for kind of walking us through those. And definitely I can attest to the 
when you have customizations as a business, and almost every single business will, ensuring that your platform is fitting the needs of the business versus the business fitting into the platform is a key differentiator for when you are making those selections. Because I've been there all too often where, you know, clients have been talked into a specific platform and then everything has to be customized external of that platform and then fed into it just to make their specific rules that they should have just from day one had up front as part of the criteria that you can support this. And that is that SaaS model, those subscription-based aspects of everything. With Headless, and speaking of subscriptions, and, and this is kind of another add-on, would be subscription management for ordering. A lot of businesses have gone to subscription models for products for goods that are delivered on a regular basis. Again, anything unique around that type of an add-on to a commerce experience that Headless helps support, or is it really just another add-on, another way that you're doing your product and order management that comes into play at the end of the day? Realistically, I don't think Headless adds a lot of additional capabilities there. Typically, if you're doing a lot of subscriptions, you're either building those systems completely from scratch, which you could do you know, traditionally or you could do in a, in a headless environment. Uh, again, if you're, if you're crafting those experiences, there may be some advantages there. Outside of that, most people are probably going to be using, if subscriptions is not your entire business, if it's not the bulk of your business, say you're selling traditionally and you just wanna add a subscription add-on so that you might be able to get a little more consistent revenue from your customer base, most of those folks are going to be using some sort of add-on. They're going to be using, you know, recharge or someone like that to handle subscriptions. And a lot of those systems, the administrative handling of the subscription from your user, right? Like the advantage is they can subscribe, they can go in there and they can unsubscribe, they can change it, they can do a lot of things themselves. So they're not, you know, bogging down your support. A lot of that's going to happen in their system anyway. A lot of that interface is going to be served by their system. So being headless uh, doesn't give you a real strong advantage. Might actually cost you a little more effort because you're going to probably have to then build that integration into their system. Whereas if you were using traditional theming, probably work out of the box with a couple of clicks and some configuration. Wonderful. So as we look to kind of come to a little bit of a conclusion about headless, even though it's not going away, right? What is your future prediction, and, and let's call it a three-year to five-year window, of what Headless will become, or will something else come in and replace it in your mind? I think in five years, we won't be using the term Headless. I think Headless, again, was just a push to really get all of these companies to build APIs. And it's because e-commerce is getting much more fractured. You need much more specialized systems to do it. And so if you're talking about having that microservices approach kind of move down market where you're having small businesses using a microservice approach rather than just large enterprises, I think that's going to continue. I think that's going to continue to accelerate. You know, that's a good way to have all of these systems try to tie together. It won't be called headless. It'll just be called e-commerce, right? Like we'll just see a lot more architecture, new systems will be architected as headless or as a, a microservices with a separate front end. You'll see the front end systems, the third party front end systems start to mature an awful lot more and there'll still be a place for these legacy systems. They'll be cheap, they'll be easy, 
they'll be simple to throw up and get going, you know, in a weekend with very little technical knowledge. Whereas with headless, probably going to be a while before they work out how to make those simple. But that's a prediction that I don't have a ton of confidence in, right? Like you don't really know with e-commerce because who saw headless coming? Who saw headless being forced down the pipe? Who saw all of us trying to sell it and talk about how great it is? I've been talking about headless for like four years now. And still most e-commerce platforms don't have a good headless option. It's been four years. It's been a buzz term. It's been here. It's now. Everybody look at headless. Realistically, if you're building right now, if you don't know what headless is, if you have to go Google headless, you probably don't need to go that route because we are probably four or five years away from it being a really legitimate, affordable, viable option. And even then, I feel like you're probably going to be giving up, you're going to be sacrificing something to go that route versus a traditionally themed site. Yeah, wonderful. I love it. And yes, we none of us can predict the future, but I do agree with you that I think the term will go away and it will just become the common term of e-commerce, uh, as, as you mentioned. It's it's so critical from that perspective. With regards to that, I just want to thank you for your time today, TJ, to be on the show to talk through headless commerce and go a little bit deeper into some of the pros and cons, some of the different platforms, some of the definitely larger growing add-ons that are going to naturally happen with e-commerce just because the nature of what it is and what it has become in our day-to-day lives and the different ways that businesses have to connect with and deliver information and build relationships with the consumers that they are, are serving, whether that's businesses, whether that's consumers, no matter that specific B2B, B2C, D2C relationship. Uh, any final parting thoughts that you have for our listeners before we wrap it up fully here? I appreciate you having me on. This is always a, a fun conversation. Again, if you're just trying to figure out whether or not headless is the right fit, if you don't have a strong technical need, don't do it. Don't be sold buzz terms, right? Do what's best for your business. I always recommend to someone who's looking for a solution is spend a lot of time understanding what your business needs, not the technology to solve it. What are your needs? And then find the cheapest way to solve those needs over the next three or four years. And that's what's going to allow you to actually take those next steps to grow your business rather than spending all of your time and energy being bogged down by some technology that you didn't really need and provided no advantages for you. Wonderful. Thanks, TJ. Everyone, you heard it here from the e-commerce aholic himself. I uh, want to, again, just recommend that you check out his social feeds. You can also find TJ on YouTube at youtube.com slash ecommerceaholic. We'll put links in our show notes as well for getting more information on this. Thank you for tuning into the future by listening to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. Again, check out our description for more information about the topic discussed today centered around headless commerce. And if you want us to cover a specific topic or submit feedback, please email us at lessonsfortomorrow at americaneagle.com and let us know. Be sure to follow this podcast wherever you listen to them or watch them on YouTube. We'd love a follow there as well to stay up to date. While you're at it, give us a rating and share this with others to prepare them for the future. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm Tim Alanius and look forward to talking with you in the next episode.